I V M. Hi and welcome to this series of short conversations on the Economic Survey of India 2017-18. I am Pavan Srinath from the Takshashila Institution and I am joined by my colleague Pranay Kotasthane. The Economic Survey came out yesterday and it was announced by the Chief Economic Advisor Arvind Subramanian. It's a document which has a magisterial view of the Indian economy as it stands today and it looks at the economy from several angles. It posits the state of affairs in the country and also suggests some reforms uh, and perhaps even a roadmap for how we can change things uh, from agriculture to formal sector employment to Swachh Bharat to a whole host of things across the country. So we wanted to talk about a few select things. First talk about what this economic survey is good for and what it isn't very good at. And also then discuss a few specific things and facts and figures that the economic survey has highlighted and uh, have a short discussion on that. First off, the economic survey has always been a document uh, which uh, has been of interest to policy analysts and wonks, but limited to that space. What has been very interesting is that uh, Mr. Arvind Subramaniam is probably one of our most high profile chief economic advisors to date. It's interesting to note that his predecessor was uh, Raghuram Rajan, who had a fairly quiet tenure as the chief economic advisor and a fairly uh, public one as the governor of the Reserve Bank of India. But uh, Mr. Subramaniam has had a fairly public role uh, in his current job. And last year's economic survey made quite a few waves and uh, entered the popular imagination and popular speak in a much bigger manner than before. Structurally, this was also done because apart from the conventional chapters of the economic survey, which looks at uh, the, the Indian economy, GDP, the macro conditions, sectors and so on, um, Mr. Subramaniam also um, anchored a whole set of uh, research and analysis on various sectors. They managed to pull together data from various uh, parts of the government and present that to the Indian public and talked about many things including interstate trade, um, property tax collections in uh, various cities, how technology can be used to improve things and so on. So that's what's been new. Yeah, so the traditional role that economic survey used to play was, so every state or a union government has a budget for the next financial year, right? But what has happened over the last year is something that is generally not captured or it's just in the form of budget speech very informally captured. So the economic survey is for the financial year that has gone by. And, and the it, financial year before that probably. Right. right where, where you have complete data. Right. It's a stock of the last few years at least. And it will give, it, traditionally it was just supposed to give an overview of what has happened over this year or the past few years and how has the economy progressed. And now I think under uh, Arvind Subramaniam they have expanded the scope and gone beyond just looking at the last one or two years and they have put interesting ideas in there. One of the other things that uh, Arvind Subramaniam has also done is convert this economic survey into a MOOC that is offered as a series of lectures on YouTube and elsewhere. So you've uh, had um, students of economics and others who have sort of picked this up, which is very interesting and I mean it's great from a public education angle. Right. But the economic survey always comes with a whole host of uh, limitations. So let's discuss some of those limitations before we look at some of the specific insights from this survey and uh, figure out what to make of them. 
Right. I think the first thing that I want to say here is the office of the chief economic advisor falls under the direct charge of the Ministry of Finance. So there is a huge principal agent problem. So you can't expect the chief economic advisor to be extremely critical of the union government. We should know that before even starting to look at the economic survey in detail. Right. So while this is not necessarily shameless political propaganda that we might see being posted on social media or elsewhere, this is not necessarily the most critical take on government functioning. Yes. In fact, one of the things we saw even last year and this year is that... um, explicitly the economic survey tends to be more critical of state governments and local governments and when it is critiquing or giving critical information on the union government's functioning it's a lot more tacit and you have to read between the lines to see what the takeaway is yeah right so last year for example uh, a very interesting highlight from the economic survey was that uh, india's property tax collections are very weak Uh, I think they took the example of Bangalore and used GIS and so on and sort of gave evidence that Bangalore is collecting a fraction of the kind of property taxes a big metropolitan city like Bangalore can collect. So while that was useful, that was sort of telling uh, state and local governments, hey, you need to think of start. Uh, starting to raise revenues at a time when the union government was not doing spectacularly well on revenues increasing anything right and i think some of that continues this year yes it does i think we'll discuss that when we are going to discuss the specifics of this economic survey the other while the economic survey puts out an agenda and a roadmap for various kinds of reforms Uh, historically it has been rarely reflective of what the government's actual policy agenda for that year is. So I think the disconnect between the two can be significant. Um, Richa Gupta of Deloitte has a good article in Economic Times Online where she focuses on three things missed by last year's economic survey. Uh, One thing is that uh, the survey made sort of a hard prediction or a a positive the idea that uh, exports Uh, export growth would normalize again. Uh, Mm. So we've had a last couple of years when exports have not been growing, in fact, shrinking in certain sectors. And uh, the economic survey said that in this year, in 2017-18, this will change. As this year's economic survey and other places show that the uh, exports have still not picked up. I think the second thing is that last year's economic survey batted for fiscal consolidation. Right? The idea that government is sticking, uh, sticking to its fiscal deficit targets, it's 3.5% one year, 3% next year and sort of tapering it down and uh, sort of batted for that view again. Now the tune has changed a little. I think there are some noises coming from the government on flexible fiscal yeah, target. And a committee was formed under NK Singh which recommended that we should be more flexible. That means the government should borrow even more Yes. while they're mm-hmm. already borrowing three odd percent of gdp which uh, is about 400 to 500 trillion rupees right or 400 to 500 lakh crores Mm -hmm. and so if the government of india is going to borrow more so the borrowings themselves might be uh, a good 20 25 percent of the entire union government budget Right. So, so in that sense, this uh, the economic survey was not necessarily a good signal of the government's commitment to one such thing. And uh, the, one of the flagship ideas in last year's survey was the universal basic income. Uh, it sort of tried to calculate what it is and figured out an architecture of costing and so on. 
uh, it's important to note that there has been zero movement on any kind of direct financial transfers, let alone a universal basic income. Right. right. We've had an active uh, Aadhaar discussion going, but Aadhaar is being linked to subsidies, but they're not necessarily financial uh, uh, subsidies and financial targets. But Pavan, don't you think that the economic survey brings in a lot of data in an otherwise data-starved environment? Yes, in fact, this and the last economic survey also makes uh, a big deal and gives a lot of prominence to big data and how it can finally start informing public policy problems in the country. And yes, the the access that the economic survey authors get to government information is amazing. Yeah. And uh, the good thing from the economic survey is that they also put out a bunch of their economic a bunch of their data that they present in tables also in Excel file. But beyond that, the economic survey has not yet done a great job of making a lot of data open and accessible. Uh, in fact, one of the things we'll repeatedly see with many of the claims made in the economic survey is that they're not contestable. Uh, the public doesn't have access to the same data. The data can have serious flaws. Sometimes the caveats in the data are mentioned in the survey, but we have no way to do a peer review or any other kind and say that, okay, these three facts make sense. These three claims don't make as much sense. But that brings me back to the core idea of the economic survey. It's always been the go-to source for a whole host of national level data, including the uh, gross national product, the GDP, um, state level GDP, human development index, and so on, which comes in the appendix now after volume one and volume two. That has always been the source of serious information for any researcher and analyst. And that remains one of its most core use cases even today. Thanks, Pavan. So this was the section on what the economic survey is, what it is good for and probably what it is not very good at. In the next section, we'll discuss some specifics of this economic survey. Yes, in this economic survey, Mr. Arvind Subramaniam talked about 10 new facts about the Indian economy. We'll discuss a few of them and what they mean. And we will also pick up some nuggets from the economic survey that were not in the top 10 facts about the Indian economy.